Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the third episode of the fourth season of the Wit and Whiskey cast. Can you believe it? We made it this far. And we're going to talk about probably one of my least favorite things on the face of the earth today. We're going to talk about birthdays. Yeah. As always, I am the grumpy old man host uh, of the Wit and Whiskey cast, Mark Rossetti Jr., here with my big, fluffy bunny, my unbearably bright ray of sunshine, DJ Guyton. Hi, everybody. I'm super happy to talk about birthdays. <laughs> yes. Uh, again, I, I know we say this on almost every episode, but this isn't a bit. No. We really do pick a lot of things that I genuinely hate and that DJ really likes. <laughs> to be fair, I like a lot of things and Mark hates a lot of things, so it works It's out. true. <laughs> that pretty much should... It wasn't DJ's sales pitch when we started this, but it should have been. I know. I feel, I feel like, you know... The, our hot takes episodes are perfect encapsulations of the I love things and Mark hates things and we meet in the middle. Yes, and then we come to the middle over a glass of whiskey and here we are. Mm-hmm. So uh, before we get into why birthdays suck, what did you do this week, buddy? Oh boy, uh, that question, fucking every week. Um, <laughs> it's only been like 65 episodes, don't worry about it. It's fine, don't, don't even think about it. Um, so last week was... Uh, my last like partial week. So for basically the last three weeks, I've been taking like Thursdays and Fridays off because uh, I was bad and didn't take vacation from work this year. Uh, So we're kind of in like a mad dash to complete some uh, housework because I'm sick of drywall and I'm sick of mud and I'm sick of paint and I just want a real office. Uh, And I eventually would like to get my wife a piano. So we're... We're kind of doing the mad dash through. We uh, we cleared out the second bedroom, and uh, we like Holly and I just took like an afternoon and ran through and did like uh, like eighty percent of the room. We we've got like sanded and patched and all of that good shit that you have to do before you can actually paint. And uh, I I've got like one layer of drywall mud in the kitchen closet left where there's a couple of cracks that I'm just gonna like kind of fill in um before this weekend uh as we're releasing this um it'll be the two days after uh my my dad's gonna swing by and we're gonna spend the whole day just sanding we're gonna sand all the drywall mud i I know my dad's gonna get really exact on it so um you know i've got a floodlight that we're gonna set up and we're gonna look at the wall different angles and we're gonna sand things down until it all looks pretty uh, and then I can go to the new paint shop downtown and, and pick out some new paints. And that'll kind of be my winter project is, is getting these rooms painted and um, get a flooring guy in to, to finish off some of that crap. So uh, just kind of this mad dash of house crap. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of ridiculous because um, worked on a bunch of that this past weekend uh, and going to do a bunch more this weekend. But, like, we have to finish in enough time for me to clean everything up on the first floor because where we're sanding abuts the kitchen. And I'm I'm throwing a Friendsgiving uh, next Monday. Just tell them it's powdered sugar. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, I, I have a huge plastic thing we're going to tape up o- over the entryway. So we're going to try to keep the sand, uh, uh, you know, make sure we don't have a fine dusting on all the shit that I need to cook. Um, but yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna throw a Friendsgiving on, on Monday, 
uh, doing the whole thing, you know, turkey, mashed potatoes, uh, stuffing. Um, and then I'm going to have cranberry sauce because I'm not a big fan of cranberry relish. Have we talked about this? We should save that for the Thanksgiving episode. We should. We have talked about this, at least off air anyway, but you're right. We should save this for Thanksgiving and whiskey. Uh, well, yeah, you've got quite the uh, fucking itinerary going there, let me tell <laughs> you. Too. How about you, buddy? I don't have anything anywhere near as interesting. Uh, <laughs> you know, we've been... We've been doing some, uh, you know, things at work, X, Y, and Z, uh, finishing up a couple projects as we get ready. Uh, God forgive me for even saying this, but as we get ready for our uh, Christmas event, the Candlelight Christmas Tours, because, of course, that is going to be coming uh, very, very shortly, uh, first weekend in December, so writing scripts and doing research and different things like that. Uh, do you know in Christmas in 1890, DJ, uh, the hot thing that I can find was uh, stockings were newish, at least around here anyway, were newish. And if somebody put a large Brazil nut in the toe of your stocking, that was all the rage. <laughs> what? Yes, 1890. If you got a uh, if you got a Brazil nut in the toe of your stocking, and then you got a peppermint stick in the stocking itself, you were just that was the fucking balls, as our friend Dave would say. <laughs> So, you know, we've been doing a lot of uh, research, a lot of writing uh, for that. I think I actually have, in my head anyway, the way the tour is going to go, but what looks good on paper and what actually is going to work are going to be two different things. So we'll see how that goes. But that means I'm going to be doing, not this week, but probably next week, another one of my least favorite things, but probably your favorite thing in the world. I'm going to have to be decorating. So good. So, because we're going to have to get the house ready and everything like that. Thankfully, I'll have some elves to help me, so it won't just be me bitching and throwing garland at things. But, you know, we have that. Cat uh, had a vet appointment since we recorded last. He's good. He's growing. It's the main thing. So, uh, he's whopping four pounds now. Very good. It's, it's still scary every time we go to the vet, and he's still smaller than some cheeseburgers I've eaten in my life. Yeah. <laughs> Still scares me, but nevertheless. You've eaten a four-pound cheeseburger? Oh, yeah. This, no, this was when I was living in, in Massachusetts. Um, the Eagle's Nest uh, off of BC, it actually was one of the places for man versus food. They did. They were either quarter-pound or half-pound patties. I forget off the top of my head, but you, you literally just you gave them a number, and the number was how many patties you wanted. Uh-huh. And it was just literally patty, cheese, bacon, patty, cheese, bacon, for however many, and I want to say I got to... Seven or eight. Jesus it, it was a lot. Mark, how are you not dead? Well, we're going to talk about that when we talk about birthdays, because the honest answer is I don't know. <laughs> um, but that is neither here nor there. Uh, but no, so we're. Oh, and it was. Oh, and I guess that's what you're setting me up for. It was my birthday over this past week. Mm -hmm. So hence why we're doing birthdays and whiskey. Uh, it was my birthday on the 12th. So. Uh, I had a quiet night. Uh, Annie took me to a local pizza place for Manhattan's and Old World Margarita Pizza. And then we went to uh, Conrad's, my club, and I got a 64-ounce beer. You get a free, you get the birthday mug on your birthday. It's 64 ounces of anything we have on tap. So I got some delicious Smittix right from uh, England. Nice. Jet black, you could chew it, five and a half percent. And then I pretty much went home and went to bed. Re read some comics and went to bed. Yeah, so. I can't imagine that you'd just go to bed after that much beer. Mm, well, 
you know, if you don't break the seal, you're all right. The next morning was fun. <laughs> that being said, speaking of drinking that much of anything, what are you drinking this week? Uh, well, I went back to one of my favorite distilleries this week. Um, I, I think it, I don't think I've drinking anything from them since season one. Drinking? Yeah, shut up. Um, <laughs> back in season one, I, uh, sampled a uh, Breckenridge sherry cask finish that I really enjoyed. And I happened to be in the liquor store a couple weeks ago, and and lo and behold, there was Breckenridge uh, with a new entry. Uh, and, you know, whereas the, the sherry cask bottle had, like, a nice deep red label, this had a bright white label. And I was like, is this the same bottle? Did I already review this? And I had to, like, look through my episode notes and be like, no, it's different. I can do this one. <laughs> Uh, so this is uh, Breckenridge's port cask finish. So, you know, just to the to, a slight sidestep. Uh, it's 90 proof, uh, and it's it's pretty damn good. Um, there's definitely, there's definitely like some hints of like raisin, maybe a little bit of vanilla. You ever notice like a lot of whiskey has notes of vanilla? Vanilla or, or caramel. I noticed a lot of caramel as well. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later too, but um, it's just really good. It's I, I will say I definitely prefer a sherry finish. Um, this one's a little bit bolder, a little bit more in your face. Uh, it's less sweet. Um, you know, it, it's port, right? It's a port finish. Um, but it's pretty good. Uh, I actually looked up today to see uh, what else Breckenridge has out there because they have a whole bunch of, of offerings that I didn't know existed. You know, they've got the sherry finish. They've got the, the port finish. Uh, they've got their own bourbon, their own stout cask finish, which I thought you would enjoy. Yeah, probably. Uh, they've got a rum cask. They've got a Madeira finish. Um, it, it's just all sorts of crazy offerings. They've got one called a whiskey powder hound. No idea what that is. Very fascinated. That sounds like an X. Ex- like drug sniffing dog that's just become an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I'm I'm not quite sure where they were going there, but the port cask finish is pretty good. Um, like port, there's definitely a, like a really aggressive like raisin uh, backbone. There's just it, it, yeah, it, it's very tawny. Um, it's not very sweet, and it's the reason why I don't drink a lot of port. Um, so I do enjoy it. I do recommend it, especially if you like port. I think I would prefer a sherry finish or a rum cask finish myself, uh, cause I tend to like things on the sweeter side, but Mark, you might actually really enjoy this one. Yeah. You know, as you've been reviewing that, I've been adding it to my little list here because I'm not a big dessert drink fan. Um, not a big wine fan. You know, if, if I do usually get an afternoon drink, it's usually just uh, Irish coffee, but uh, oh god! I was going to say a few months ago, but I think it was actually back in like March. I was invited to a cigar dinner at a country club, and at the end they went around with the dessert menu list, and I got irrationally excited because they had port, and I hadn't had port in forever. I said, "Ah, whip that up and send it at my head," and I was like, "Yeah, port finish. I think I would kind of be all about that, especially with a decent little smoke. That would probably be a a nice combination." Yeah, I I think it's pretty good. I've always I've always kind of. I, you know, I, I'll be honest. I tend to like sweet drinks. I tend to like sweet cocktails. I tend to like things like bright and colorful with a billion pieces of fruit. So when I 
tend to choose a whiskey, I like I, I like the caramels, I like the vanillas, I like that sweet backbone. I like some some citrus notes or or whatnot. So this is good. And I can they've definitely achieved what they set out to do, but it doesn't really have enough of of what I want out of a whiskey. So I, I it's a it's good. Um you can get it for it's like forty nine up here. Okay, forty nine fifty. So it's not it's not terrible uh, in terms of a price point. Um, you know they they probably have some pretty crazy uh, offerings that are fairly expensive, but that's where I'm at. What about you? What are you drinking? Well, you started by saying that you know you you went back to one of your favorite distilleries. I would say that I didn't go back to one of my favorite distilleries, but that would be lying. <laughs> <laughs> if we're being brutally honest. I am sampling yet another in the range of Jack Daniels. I think between the two of us, we've covered a good chunk of their range on this program. Uh, but I've gone with the Single Barrel Select. Uh, it's also in the uh, like 48 to $50 range, which for Jack is pretty pricey. I mean, it's middle of the road as far as most of this stuff goes, but for Jack, it's pretty pricey. Uh, I actually picked up this bottle because they're already starting to have Christmas sales at the state liquor stores here, much to my utter dismay. (laughs) But with the old man's birthday being at the end of October and mine being the second week of November, generally the first weekend in November, my mother has us all together and we just have one giant birthday dinner. So I picked up the bottle for the two of us and we enjoyed uh, a couple glasses of it and I took the rest of it home to review here. So uh, it's, I mean, it's very good. Basically... The TLDR, am I saying that right? Too long, didn't read. Is, it's Jack on steroids. If you like old number seven brand, you're going to like this. It's a lot smoother. It's a lot stronger. Uh, There's no age statement, but it's 94 proof, which is quite a bit more than regular Jack. Uh, The mash bill, for those of you interested, it's 80% corn. It's 12% malted barley and a mere 8% rye, but don't hold that against it. And it's very nice presentation. It has this chiseled, angular bottle that almost has like a crystal vibe and it has the Jack Daniels signature etched in the bottle. It has a cork instead of a cap. Around the neck is a separate label that lists what barrel this actually came from, when it was barreled, when it was opened. So if you're really uh, into the collectible aspect of it, This is kind of a good little entry-level, you know, ooh and ah presentation bottle. has a lot of the stuff that uh, the Jane Walker that we both reviewed has, but for quite a bit less of the price and quite a bit easier availability. Uh, It's got a good amber color. Uh, When you smell it, we were talking about, you know, the common smells again. You get caramel, just like you do with regular Jack, Mm. but you get a lot of oak, like a toasted, burnt oak. And... It's pretty good. When you taste it, you get some more caramel. You get a lot of that wood. You get some smoke. Dare I say you get a little bit of hint of banana, which is a lot better than it sounds. Hmm. Uh, it's medium weight, maybe, dare I say, medium too heavy. Uh, but it, it's it's definitely not light, despite it being smooth. Uh, and then at the end, when you get the burn, it hits you with, with the 94 proof versus the regular 80 for the jack. So it, it finishes pretty good. Uh, 
you get a little bit of brown sugar, you get some pepper, you get more of the oak. The oak is prevalent throughout, and then it just smokes. <laughs> uh, so if you like number seven, but you don't wear a wife beater, <laughs> try this. <laughs> that being said, if you have 40 to $50 to burn, 45 to $50 to burn, there's probably about five or six bottles I would recommend before this, uh, especially if you're into rise. But overall, this is very good, and I have absolutely no regrets about buying this. Nice. And the old man liked it, too, when we sampled it. He, he hemmed in hot, as he normally did, and then when I poured him the first glass and he took a sip, he just went, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, all right, you're right, okay. That's amazing. So now, Edge of Makedus, my boy. What are you doing for Tools of the Trade this week? Uh, well, tools the trade this week. I thought it would be interesting, uh, kind of going with some of those, uh, you know, outside the box thinking with the, with cocktail techniques and and cocktail tools. I thought I would just kind of in general talk about the concept of fire. Okay, speaking as a man who's been on fire quite a bit, I'm intrigued. <laughs> Um, because we've kind of touched on this topic quite a bit over, over the seasons we've talked about, uh, we briefly touched on flaming cocktails when we talked about prohibition, we've talked about smoking whiskey, we've talked about, uh, smoky whiskey, we've talked about flaming peels and, um, I, I always found like the concept of fire and cocktails really interesting. And so I kind of, I did a little bit of research today. Uh, and I, I kind of looked up some of the, the history of using fire with alcohol and, uh, you know, when it works out and doesn't cause a still to explode, um, fire can be a nice addition to things. So uh, really, really quick history here because it is tools of the trade. And uh, just a blanket disclaimer, uh, unlike most of the other things that I recommend in tools of the trade, I do not recommend lighting things on fire. Um, just be careful cause it's fire. Uh, so really this all started back in, in the 1800s. We talked briefly about this really old classic cocktail called the blue blazer, right? A, it's uh, it's whiskey, boiling water, sweetened with some sugar, and then it's set aflame and poured between two mugs. Very popular thing back in the day. Uh, And the the idea here with the fire, aside from just making it look amazing, uh, is that there there is a little bit of science behind it. it. If you go too deep down this rabbit hole, you're going to find a lot of apocryphal stuff. Um, But there is some evidence that the fire uh, caramelizes some of the sugars that are inherent in this cocktail and it can kind of take the sting out of uh, what would have been pretty rough whiskey back in the 1800s, right? Like, you know, sure, there were really great distillers out there, but it's also, like, we're talking 1800s technology. Um, so maybe they didn't control the proof quite as well as you might have hoped. Maybe, uh, you know, they didn't, quite get the best ingredients maybe maybe the barrels weren't quite safe you know all sorts of good stuff here you know you never know so um you know somebody might take a really aggressive scotch from back then and do this with it 
and it would take the bite out of that that raw scotch um, and it would kind of consume some of the additional alcohol in it. It would actually decrease the proof of the overall cocktail because you're burning off the alcohol. Uh, and depending on how long you did it, you get a bit of a warmer cocktail as well. So uh, it's kind of an interesting time in history, but by 1900, this whole cocktail was essentially dead and didn't really come back until uh, basically the 80s and 90s. Uh, we did get... Like all cocktails. They it, came back in the mid-80s. Yeah, exactly. Um, there were some other flaming drinks that were made with coffee and orange liqueur and brandy, and then you'd set the ladle on fire. Um, uh, the, the, this was, again, back in the 1800s, and it was made tableside. This is weirdly something that I, I didn't realize this tradition was super old because I remember my parents taking me to like a fancy vacation back in the nineties. And we went to a restaurant where they made like table side flaming cocktails. And I didn't really realize that this tradition went all the way back to the 1800s, which is really interesting. Uh, but we hit the the forties and fifties and we see the rise of tiki culture and anybody who's had, you know, a, a scorpion bowl or a, a zombie, um, you've probably seen it get lit on fire at some point. And generally by this point, uh, what we're talking about is an overproof liquor that isn't strictly part of the cocktail, but they light it on fire to kind of create ambiance. So, you know, you'll somebody will make a, a big, over-the-top, colorful tiki cocktail, and they'll put it in a vessel, and then they'll either, like, I, I've seen uh, some things where they take uh, a piece of coconut, like half of a coconut, and they float it in the cocktail, and they pour some 151 in and light it on fire. You get a nice blue flame. Uh, anyone who's had a scorpion bowl knows that it kind of flutes up in the middle, and they pour some 151 in there, light it on fire. Uh, and this was really popular, and this still remains popular today. Uh, there's quite a few tiki bars and, and you know, Strangely, I, I always find it kind of amusing now that I know things about cocktail culture that a lot of tiki cocktails have gotten tied in with like Chinese and Japanese cuisine. Well, I mean, it's all just strange island nations to us white people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the 70s and 80s, uh, there was a trend for party shooter drinks uh, that all had like silly names like a flaming Dr. Pepper. Uh, and it was the same sort of thing, but then, you know, they put a float of overproof cocktail on the top of it and laid it on fire. Um, I will not have you besmirch a flaming Dr. Pepper. I'll have you know. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not besmirching it. It does. It is a silly name, but it is the only, it is the only vanity cocktail for lack of a better term. It is the only cocktail that claims to taste like X that actually tastes like X. A flaming Dr. Pepper, if you make it correctly, tastes exactly like Dr. Pepper. And I don't know how or the why. I mean, maybe because Dr. Pepper is actually alcoholic and we haven't known it all this time. Well, it was originally a, uh, you know, traveling snake oil thing. The 23 flavors was originally the 23 ailments that it was supposed to cure. (laughs) Of course. But that's neither here nor there. 
Uh, and then in the the two thousands with the the latest cocktail revolution, we get all the shit that I love to do: flamed orange peels and uh, expressing oils through a match, and um, you know, uh, heating drinks with red hot pokers and and shit like that. Um, where we're we're less lighting the drinks on fire, but and now we're kind of doing some, uh, you know, let's be fair here, hipster bullshit. Uh, to, uh, to, you know, amp up our cocktail game and, uh, you know, make things a little bit more bespoke. Um, you know, Mark and I have talked a lot about these, the, this new trend with whiskey smokers. Um, I actually, uh, was watching an episode of Bar Rescue the other night and, uh, it, they filmed it during the COVID pandemic and one of the bartending quote unquote experts, uh, was teaching everyone how to use one of those like fog hat things. So I was like, should it uh, just came to us? Yeah, right. I was like, okay, well, I guess, uh, I guess you know, it's not just a a wit and whiskey gimmick. This so when do we get our own show that. that we just go around and teach people this shit? I know we've been right? doing it for months. <laughs> so yeah, um, you know, fire has definitely had a storied history. Uh, and there's always like interesting things you can do, right? Um, I have a really, so I make my own liqueurs and cordials and I will, uh, you know, you start out making that stuff and you're just infusing like, you know, I don't know. It's kind of like sangria. You throw some oranges in and you throw some spices in and maybe you'll get something tasty. I've kind of gotten to the point where I've started like roasting ingredients or braising ingredients or, you know, uh, toasting things to put them, you know, I'll toast my spices a little bit to get a little bit more of that like smoky flavor into it. So there's some really cool things you can do with the proper application of heat. Just be careful out there. Yeah. The the main thing you have to keep in mind when working with fire is uh, fire doesn't really work with you. No, <laughs> you know you have to take all the necessary steps because fire is just going to do what it's going to do. Uh, shameless plug: uh, we're not being paid for this, but you were talking about one fifty one cocktails and you know how a lot of it is just you know for show and pretentiousness. One of the most fun things you could do, uh, the wife and I did this for two or three years, was we used to go to Atlantic City, and I know everybody's rolling their eyes because Atlantic City's a dump, and it is. <laughs> but Harrah's is still nice. If you go to Harrah's all the way down the, the, I think it's the north end of the boardwalk, it's pretty much just a resort into itself. And they have this huge indoor pool, which uh, we originally liked because it's uh, only 18 plus to get in. But you can rent these, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not pagodas. Help me out here. Uh Basically, you get your own little deck, essentially. Nice. And it has a TV on it and a stereo and this, that, the other thing. Well, they you also get a $150, or you did before the pandemic, you get a $150 bar credit. And they would have an entire page of 151 cocktails. Oh, wow. And all the waitresses at this pool, the, since they're at the pool, all the waitresses are in bikinis. So you... The wife would go and swim, and I would just burn our bar credit, and you would just see these girls in bikinis bringing two and three flaming 151 drinks over to our deck. <laughs> it was fucking awesome. 
And then you just drag yourself to the elevator and go up to your room and pass out after about eight of them. <laughs> so uh, if you find yourself in Atlantic City, if you're at Harris, I highly, highly recommend that. But book one of their little patio sauna things. Oh, man, Drink a lot of 151. Yeah, there, there are things I would do if I could get my hands on regular 151, but um, they don't sell it here in New Hampshire, so I would have to go to Mass or New York. Yeah, the last place I got it was Delaware, so I feel your pain. Mm-hmm. My, my buddy, uh, Ryan, shout out, uh, makes, uh, she and her mom make their own uh, coffee liqueur, and I think they do it with... Uh, with Everclear, uh, and they can get that down in mass, but I, I haven't been able to find Everclear up here ever. Brimps. Thank you. <laughs> wow, on that lame joke. <laughs> what do we have for uh, whiskey news? Well, uh, this is actually interesting. It's an Associated Press article through the Mercury News about how, uh, starting this month in November, the great state of Idaho, shout out to our friends in Potato Land, is instituting new uh, policies for rare bourbons and scotches and things. Uh, Idaho, like a a few other states in the country that we often talk about, has a state liquor agency. They have state-run stores. Now, to give you an idea of... I don't want to say how small Idaho is because geographically it's not small, but it's very rural. There, according to this article, there's only 67 state stores in Idaho. There is at least 12 that I can drive to and not be 10 minutes from my house, just in my backwards ass County. Mm. So that shows you a little bit of the difference here. Uh, But beforehand they were doing what a lot of places do, what the Pennsylvania, well with rare whiskeys, Pennsylvania just does a straight lottery but with normal stuff, they just have an inventory and you go online and, you know, you give them your location and they say, oh, the bottle you want is at this store and this store and this store all within 10 miles or whatever. Mm. And so Idaho was doing that, and but they were doing that with all their whiskeys. So people were lining up. They were buying all the bottles of the rare stuff. They were harassing employees. They wanted to go in the back and open the crates. You know, I, I know you have this stuff in the back, blah, 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 blah. And like most things, a lot of this uh, negativity was centered out of a Facebook group. Uh, There was the, let me find the exact thing, the 150-plus member Boise Whiskey Enthusiast group on Facebook Uh, were beginning to get out of control. And they basically said that they were making, how we had runs on toilet paper During the pandemic, they were having runs on bourbons and things. So now, starting this month in November, Idaho has gone to what they are calling a treasure hunt system. Nobody, allegedly not even the employees, are going to know what bottles they have until they open new unmarked boxes. Wow. So that, uh, you know, Rip Van Winkle, the the, the $4,000 bottle might just be in a little... Uh, shop over in bumfuck potato land, or it might be in Boise. Nobody's going to know until it goes on the shelf. So you're going to have to go on the hunt. Interesting enough, this is what Hot Wheels does with a lot of their rarer cars. What? If you ever go, to, you know, I'm serious. If you ever go to a uh, Walmart or a Target or something and you see them unloading, they literally just come in brown paper boxes that say Hot Wheels, you know, and whatever the run is. And it's not until you open it up that you actually see what you get. And they, 
they're super rare cars they've actually taken to calling treasure hunt cars because you don't know where they're going to be. Uh, and then they go on eBay for, you know, $8,000. Hmm. Interestingly enough, uh, I found this during the week, and then I got the email this week. Pennsylvania is having another one of their rare whiskey lotteries. And this one is going for a total of 460 bottles out the door. And I once again remind you that there are 13 million people currently living in the Commonwealth. Jesus. So the odds aren't exactly in your favor. But I kind of would like the Idaho system, I think. Because I like to go driving around looking at cars. Why can't we just go drive around and look for whiskey? Same thing. I'd be all about it. You know, I'm here for it. That does sound fun. So if you're in Idaho, write to us, witandwhiskeycastgmail.com. Let us know how the fuck it works. Let us know what you're finding. And that is all the news that's fit to print this week. (laughs) So does that bring us to our topic? It does. I think it's you, buddy. You got to crack that seal. Well, I got to crack that seal. Now, before we get into the history, I I guess I will talk a little bit about... uh, why I don't like birthdays in general. I know we're going to talk about specific birthdays later on. Oh, it's because you're a Grinch. That's part of it. But you brought up a interesting top, uh, an interesting point a little while ago. How am I still alive? <laughs> and the honest answer is I don't really know because I was discussing this with a few co-patriots at Conrad's uh, on my birthday. When I, I don't know if it's just I'm getting old, if I'm getting soft. I don't know what it is. But when I look back on certain things, I just go, I was a fucking idiot. <laughs> like, there is no reasonable reason I should have gotten away with everything I've gotten away with. And you could make the argument I shouldn't have survived half the shit. I mean, between the parties and the racing and just the insane amount of drinking I've done in my life. Uh, I'm sitting here smoking a cigar as I'm talking to you. I've been smoking cigars for... God, since I was 21, 2021, I'm 35 now. So, uh, you know, life's been hard. (laughs) And if you had told me, certainly in college, but even in my late 20s, 27, 28, 29, if you had said I was going to make it to 35, I would legitimately have not believed you. So birthdays were always just sort of, you know, another step closer to the grave. (laughs) Okay, cool. And a lot of that is family history. The, the old man is the only, the first and so far only male uh, of the Rossetti line to make it to 60. Nobody on my father's side, if you're a man, nobody's ever done that. So, you know, that, that's always the specter looming over your head, too, which is kind of fun. Hmm. Uh, the, the other reason is it's another one of these things, and we talked a little bit about it with leaves and lawns. There are certain things I don't understand why we get so amped up about in this country, specifically. Mm-hmm. And birthdays are one of them. Like, the world has to stop when it's somebody's birthday. You see it all the time at restaurants. We make the poor waiters and dishwashers making three and a quarter an hour plus tips come out and dance. You're supposed to get a free piece of cake because it's your birthday. You know, everybody at the office, oh, happy birthday, everybody. we got a car, we passed a car around. Why? Nobody cares. I don't care. <laughs> you, you don't give a fuck that it's my birthday, nor should you give a fuck that it's my birthday. So I, I think that's part of it. There's just this phony 
excitement and you know this thing. Well, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? I'm not gonna do anything. You know, a couple of people at Conrad's were annoyed. Annie and I went out and we went and had the big the big beer. I had a shot or two. We went home about nine thirty. Apparently, a big group came in at ten o'clock and they were telling me, "What the hell? We came out for your birthday. Why are you here?" Because I already went out. <laughs> I had my couple drinks. I got work tomorrow. I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's like I, so I don't understand that you know apparently they, they went and closed the place and they celebrated my birthday without me which is fine if you need a reason to drink by all means but I, I just I don't understand that so that's why I am not a big birthday person uh, but that's the background so who do we have to blame for this nonsense well unfortunately I think on a mainstream level my boys have to take the L here we have to blame it on the Romans <laughs> You and your Romans. Well, you know, they, they we'll get into why here in a minute. The as those of you most of you know, our current calendar is the Gregorian calendar. Mm-hmm. Named after the Gregorian monks who basically set it up and they didn't quite get it right, and that's why there's no year zero, and that's you know why Christ was actually probably born in like three or four, you know, uh C E as opposed to uh, one CE, but we won't get into all that. Before that, there was the Julian calendar, named after Julius Caesar, who invented it. But before even that, the Romans had a pre-Julian Roman calendar that they used. And so this is even before Caesar. This is, you know, the, the Republic. This is the, the kings of Rome. This is the early stuff. And it actually is kind of a lot of fun to study. It, it began in March. <laughs> January and February were actually the last months that were added. So it began in March. It featured an eight-day week, DJ, uh, which they didn't have names. They were A through, like, H, just A, B, C, D, E. And it was a 355-day year. Now, as we know from advances in science, everything is based off the Earth going around the sun, and that's how you get time, and that's how you get the year, and... That's why we have to have a leap year every four years to kind of balance out the quarter of a day we lose. So how the hell did a 355-day year work? And the answer is it didn't. <laughs> uh, what they actually did was they, they used a, a system very similar to soccer. If anybody watches soccer, and this is one of the reasons why it never catch, caught on in America, I still say, is if you watch a soccer game, they'll play the 45 minutes of the first half, they'll play the 45 minutes of the second half, And then just arbitrarily, they'll add time. And you usually don't know how much time they're going to add until they're about halfway through it, because it's entirely at the referee's discretion. He could add 30 30 seconds, he could add 10 minutes, and it's just, it's never the same thing. Well, they did the same thing with the year. They would just add days onto the year to balance it out. Ah, what do we need? We need four days this year? Sure, throw them on the end. Now, who is they? Well, all of this was maintained and regulated by the priest class, the priesthood of the Romans. Uh, They monitored what day of the week it was. They monitored what month it was. They monitored how far along into the year and how many days they would think they would need. And when I say they monitor all this, they were the sole people that monitored it for years and years and years. It was not until 304 BCE that the first public calendar of any type was posted, and that was finally in the Forum in Rome. Mm. So you had one calendar. You could walk to the Forum and go, oh, it's Tuesday. (laughs) Otherwise, the lay people didn't know. 
Now, across this calendar, you had 48 festivals that were celebrated uh, across the various months. And some of them, you know, you know, like the Ides, the Ides of March being the famous one, but every month had the Ides. Later on, they added a 49th, and the 49th was the first really major birthday. It was the birthday of the Roman Republic, which was added on, uh, which became April 21st. And so this is where we get Dies Natalis, which is Latin for uh, birthday. And the Romans really liked this. They liked celebrating the uh, birthday of the Republic. They liked another festival. They liked another day off. They liked, you know, more... uh, bread and circuses, so to speak. So they began to add birthdays for everything, for cities, for temples, for roadways, for aqueducts. They would celebrate birthdays for all of these. And the official reasoning behind this is Romans always loved to mark how long something that they had built, how long something they had created was lasting. Look at this mark on history that we have built, that the Roman people have done. This has been here 10 years. This has been here 20 years. This has been here 50 years. So eventually, they added it to people. (laughs) They said, hey, we're going to start celebrating your birthday. And this had a a religious connotation originally. The Romans believed that everyone had a genus, which was a, a spirit, that this spirit had to die and had to be sacrificed on the day of your birth in order to create you, in order to create life. So originally, your birthday was more of a celebration of the death of your spirit than it was uh, of your own birth. And so you had this religion part, but then you also had a mix of friendship. You would go to temple, you would make sacrifices, you would burn incense, But you would also make ritual cakes, which would then be distributed and eaten, which is, of course, where we get the idea of a birthday cake. You would wear white robes. All your friends would come and wear white robes. Uh, The fun part about this was, back then, the birthday boy, birthday girl, was much more generous than the attendees. The idea was you would give gifts to your friends for coming and celebrating this wonderful day for me. It's total opposite of what it is today. Uh, as we said, eventually they added uh, February, January and February, the last two months, and then eventually the Julian calendar was introduced in 46 BCE. So about 300 years, 400 years uh, this oddball calendar came in, and you know the Julian calendar is, of course, where we get July, we get August, and that's what messes everything up. That's why October, November, December, they're not in the right line. They're not 8, 9, and 10 like they're supposed to be. Uh, so that wasn't until 46 BCE. And then, of course, in the Middle Ages, we get the Gregorian calendar, which has caused a whole big thing from there. So basically, the Romans gave us the archetype of a modern birthday with a few changes. You could still see it. You get together with your friends. You celebrate your own creation, whether it be from the death of a spirit or, as my good friend uh, Rebel used to say, you're bursting forth from the placenta. And you eat cake, and gifts are exchanged. Now, which way the gifts go depends on the time frame. But the Romans basically gave us the modern birthday. And, you know, that hurts. Because I don't like the I don't like birthdays, so the fact that they hooked us up with them that hurts me so. W- would you feel better about birthdays if it was birthday pie instead of birthday cake? Well, the wife made me a birthday pie. That's good. Uh, 
I just part of it too is I don't like surprises, as you well know. And you know, I go to work and somebody, some very generous individual, sends me a giant barrel I have to put together, <laughs> and you know, and then. Oh yeah, I, I heard how much you hated that, Mark. I'll make sure I, I, to, to surprise you again. Yes. Um, no, it's just, I'm a very type A personality. I, I like to at least think I'm in control of a situation. No, of course so, you're not. Well, yes, and uh, birthdays are a big reminder of no, not even a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but there you go. There's where we have the archetype for the birthday. It it evolved somewhat during the Middle Ages, but really it hasn't changed all that much. We just drink a lot more now. And the Romans drank a lot. Don't get me wrong. There was a lot of wine. But we just drink a lot more now. That's basically the only difference, well, really. Well, that, that and we have barcades now. We do have barcades. I'm very excited. The The barcade uh, by me, the good one, um, this coming Sunday is actually our local lame excuse for a Comic-Con. I shouldn't say lame excuse for a Comic-Con because it's very good. And I, I go every year and I get a lot of deals, but it's not... They basically licensed the Comic-Con name, and it's just basically a comic book flea market. But the local barcade is actually bringing a bunch of machines and setting up an arcade at the Comic-Con. Nice. So I'm very excited about that. That'll be awesome. But all right, I know you're doing a little trip around the world because you were going to try to convince me that birthdays don't actually suck. Yeah, so my, my part of this episode is birthdays are awesome. Shut up, Mark. So I am going to take you through a tour of uh, interesting and strange birthday traditions around the world. Uh, So I started with Japan because, uh, as as Mark can test, I love Japan. (laughs) I I start with Rome, you start with Japan. Yeah, it's how it goes. (laughs) Uh, So uh, I found it pretty interesting. This is actually pretty common for a lot of East Asian countries. Uh, I believe Vietnam did the same thing and China did the same thing. Um, Before World War II, uh, birthdays in Japan were celebrated universally at the New Year instead of on the day of birth. Now, I have to interrupt you immediately, and I don't mean to, but I'm just genuinely curious. Was this one of the many things that we changed when we occupied them after World War II to try to make them more white? I think it was something, yeah, probably. I think because we changed also, a lot of Japanese culture after World War. Yeah, II. I think they also adopted it as like a, oh, that's kind of interesting, and you know that they, they kind of took on that. There is, uh, I, I don't want to, you know, speak for any. I, I am not Japanese myself, so I'm not going to make any sweeping generalizations here. But there is, um, th- there is an interesting subset of Japanese culture that does kind of have. Uh, an interest in, in Western society and, and same thing with uh, South Korea as well. So I, I imagine that while there were maybe not some wonderful things with the, the occupation of Japan that happened, um, you know, this is one of the things that happened. Uh, so that they do now, uh, by and large, uh, the Japanese people do celebrate their birthdays the same way that we do in the West, you know, on their day of birth. But they have some interesting traditions. So on uh, the first birthday, so a year after you're born, uh, which I have to specify, because in some countries like Vietnam, the day you're born, you are already one. Yes, I have heard of that, actually. Uh, So in Japan, on your first birthday, uh, there is a huge dried rice cake 
that is, I, I think it's like four or five pounds. And they wrap it in a special ceremonial fabric and then they tie it on to the one-year-old uh, at, like as a little backpack. And there's a, a tradition of like, I mean, this is clearly too big for a one-year-old to hold. So it's it's this kind of cultural phenomenon of like how they they fall over and how long they can hold the backpack while standing up uh, has different indications for luck and and future and destiny and things like that. Uh, there's also a another uh, tradition on the first birthday called uh, arabatory, uh, where uh, certain objects are laid out in front of the child and they choose one, and that's meant to indicate the path that that child will take in life. So, like you know, parents who might want to, uh, you know, hijack this this ceremony for a good future for their kid might put out like a calculator or something like that. <laughs> you know, nothing wrong with work in the game, I suppose. Right. Uh, there is another tradition called uh, Shichigosan, uh, which happens at three years old for both genders, five years old for boys, and seven years old for girls, uh, where they are dressed up uh, in, in a ceremonial outfit and taken to a shrine for, for various blessings. They're also given... Uh, what's called the thousand year candy, uh, the Chitoseyame. Uh, is it a jawbreaker that lasts a thousand years? Because if it is, I'm moving to Japan right fucking now. It could be. Uh, I'm sure it totally doesn't taste like plum paste. <laughs> um, uh, in Japan, you're considered an adult at age 20 instead of 16. Uh, and then there's some interesting ages, like 77 is considered a very auspicious age. Uh, but your 60th birthday is is very highly celebrated. There's a big ceremony that happens when someone turns 60 because uh, 60 years is the completion of the Japanese uh, zodiac cycle because there's 12 animals and five elements that get applied to those animals. So a full cycle is 60 years, um, which is really interesting. Uh, I highly recommend checking out your element because it's kind of fun to know. Uh, my buddy and I did this a couple of years ago. And we found out that we're both fire rabbits. I'm shocked. Yeah, Absolutely right? shocked. Um, I'm going to Google myself while you're here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keep uh, going. Uh, in Italy, uh, the idea of a birthday party, uh, they flip the script. Um, the It's the responsibility of the celebrant to throw their own party and pay Just for like it. Just like ancient everything. Rome. They still do it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, as an offset for the generosity of the host... Uh, presents are mandatory, and they're meant to like offset the cost of you being at the party, which I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, in uh, Bhutan, uh, everyone turns a year older on the first day of the year, uh, so there aren't any individual birthdays celebrated, and they don't really celebrate uh, the concept of getting older. Uh, I found this a really interesting concept because the country of Bhutan, uh, as a country, they don't measure GDP. They instead have a metric 
that they measure called uh, GNH, which is gross national happiness. So the assumption around not celebrating getting older is that it kind of contributes to not reminding people that they're getting older, and it helps contribute to the GNH. Uh, in Hungary, um, you know, in, in the in the U.S. and in the in in sometimes in Europe, you might get pinches, birthday pinches, or birthday spanks if uh, you know you're be, you know you've got irreverent friends. Uh, in Hungary, uh, there are ear tugs, and people close to you will come up and tug your ears once for every year that you've been alive, and the concept is. Uh, bless you, live so long, your ears reach your ankles. Which I thought was interesting. Um, UK and Ireland have uh, a birthday tradition called the bumps for children, uh, where, uh, you know, you'll come up to a kid and you'll grab them by the wrists and you'll, like, pull them up and just, like, bounce them uh, once for every year uh, that they're alive. Uh, there is a um, a not-so-great tradition that's been kind of phased out called the kicks, where somebody holds the kid up and everybody <laughs> kicks them. The fuck? <laughs> um, and and the, the various health organizations in the UK and the Ireland have tried to put a stop to that. Yeah, I... Okay. <laughs> uh, in Denmark, uh, children are served a, sh- a cake sh- in the shape of a person... Uh, that represents whatever gender they are. And uh, the they are served the head while all of their friends and family descend on the rest of the cake and tear it apart. Denmark is so weird. Mm-hmm. Denmark's got some cool stuff. Uh, in Russia, rather than having a birthday cake, uh, you are given a sensible uh, birthday pie that is meant to be very healthy and nourishing. Uh, with a special message carved into the top. See, I kind of dig that. Of course I like do. practical. No, I like practical. Uh, in Jamaica, uh, the birthday celebrant is uh, doused with water, and then immediately uh, a bunch of flour is dumped on them. And in Brazil, uh, that tradition is followed up with being pelted with eggs. Okay. <laughs> So you're turning the person into French toast. You're turning the person into a cake. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, in Germany, uh, are you male? Are you single? Are you turning 30 today? If so, you now have to sweep the front steps of your local town hall dressed in drag. Uh, mm. So, I mean, thanks for that, Germany. They they invaded Russia wearing dress uniforms. What do you want? Uh, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> In North Korea, uh, citizens are not allowed to have birthdays on July 8th or December 17th due to uh, those dates being the deaths of Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il. Uh, and there's like... a a decent part of the population in North Korea that have ghost birthdays on the following days. See, this is the type of shit I love. Like I have what my wife deems an unhealthy fascination with dictators and cult leaders and things. Not Uh because, you know, 
because, you know, it's awful. I'm not going to sit here and get it. But just the idea that you could just do that. Like, <laughs> no, you don't have a birthday today. This is just, your birthday's tomorrow. <laughs> that just always <laughs> blows my mind and amuses me to no end. Like, the shit you can come up with. <laughs> yeah, an entire country that says, mm, hold that in for one more day. <laughs> it's like if you ever read... Uh, ever read about the one dictator of Turkmenistan in like the late 80s, early 90s, and how he was just changing the language so that Turkmen was in everything. Like, bread was Turkmen something, and, you know, your friends were Turkmen this, and he actually renamed himself Turkmen Bashi, which translated to the son of all Turkmen. <laughs> like, he was just like, yeah, just wake up one day, and nope, this is what we're going to do. Uh, and then people may uh, know or have heard of these. Uh, so in Latinx cultures, uh, girls, when they turn 15, are uh, they're given a quinceanera, uh, which starts with a very large mass and ends with a, a coming of age or coming out party. Uh, Latinx cultures also gave us the birthday tradition of smacking colorful things to get candy out, the piñata. Which is fucking awesome. Uh-huh. Who does not love a pinata? Uh, and then in Jewish culture, uh, similar, but it's at the age of 13 uh, when we get bar mitzvahs for uh, boys and bat mitzvahs for girls. They're a hell of a party. I've been to a few bar mitzvahs. I've never been invited to one, but I've heard they're fun. Um, I, I, I think out of all of this list, uh, if I were going to make a single appeal for why birthdays are awesome, I, it's the pinata, obviously. The pinata is great. Um, you know, the, the Russian sensible, you know, comrade work strong in potato fields pie. That's kind of fun. <laughs> um, Denmark teaching kids to be cannibals is kind of fun. Uh, you know, there, there's some compelling arguments here. I, I, I still think you're wrong, but there's some compelling arguments here. Well, Mark, tell me about a good birthday you had growing up. Hmm. Well, I mean, I never really had any bad birthdays. That's the thing. I've, they've this, I've always deemed them unnecessary, even from when I was time when I was a child. Uh... I could just picture little baby Mark, no facial hair, a sweater vest, just going, I'm sorry, mother, but I don't see why this party is necessary. <laughs> um, I can remember, God, what grade was I in when it came out? Fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. Uh, my grandmother had bought me the newest Battle Tanks game, which we talk about in our one of our uh, Hot Takes episodes on video games. Mm. And so she had got me that. We went up her house to pick it up and have cake, and then we came home. And I didn't have any homework that night because the uh, teacher, she was a nun, but she bought into the whole myth of the birthday, so she... You got a free day. If your birthday fell on a school day, you didn't have to do any homework that day. <laughs> now, if you had a test or whatever the next day, you still kind of had to study because you weren't going to get out of the test. But if you had any written assignments, you you know you didn't have to do them because it was your birthday. So I basically got a free night of playing Battle Tanks, and that was pretty fun. Hmm. So I remember that one. Um, trying to think... What else? Uh, well, we had one a couple of years ago. It was pretty fun. We 
the Comic-Con that I referenced earlier actually fell on the day after my birthday, one year. So we all went to that, and then we got hibachi afterwards. Nice. And that was pretty fun, because hibachi's awesome. So it's not that I've I've never had a really a bad birthday. I certainly don't have any memories of, you know, being a little kid and crying up in my room or anything. Not saying it didn't happen, but I don't remember any of them, so it wasn't that traumatic. <laughs> it's just, it was always just sort of like, why? You know, let's just have a few drinks, and, you know, if we want to go out to dinner, okay, and then let's go the fuck home. <laughs> like, what's the big deal? That's fair. What about you? What are some of your favorite birthdays? Um, I'm... I remember my, I think I was, I think I was turning nine, uh, when, uh, my parents completely as a surprise got me my, uh, a super Nintendo. Nice. So that was pretty great. Um, I had a birthday. I, I think I was turning like maybe 15. And, and I know this sounds really weird, but my parents bought me an easy chair. See, I'd be all about that. Yeah. Like, I, I, I didn't, I didn't, like, I was like, uh, and then they're like, oh, this is yours. And it was like a really nice present because it was like the one thing in the living room that was just mine. Like my brothers weren't allowed to sit in it. I could, uh, I could have any mess on my chair that I wanted. Like if I wanted to drape coats over it or put books, you know, stack books on it, like. As long as, like, when company came over, I cleaned up my chair, everything was fine. So that was a pretty cool birthday present. Um, uh, the year I got uh, my first Pokemon game was pretty great. Uh, you know, stuff like that. Um, I, they're around here, and I'm sure you had this when you were a kid. Did you guys have, like, any Chuck E. Cheeses or anything like that growing up? No, you know, well, I shouldn't say that. We had, actually, not too far from where I currently live here at the 1821 Studios, we had a place that was called the Play Plaza, which was a big arcade, and then in the basement it had uh, a really wicked laser tag set up. But that closed by the time I was about seven or eight, and we actually never got a Chuck E. Cheese until I was in college. Oh, damn. And we all actually got thrown out of it, because when it opened, a bunch of us went to it, and if you're over 18, you have to have a kid to keep all the diddlers out. So we all got tossed from the Chuck E. Cheese. That's hilarious. <laughs> so, you know, it is what it is, I guess. But go on. Yeah, no, we, we had, um, I mean, we had a Chuck E. Cheese. We had a place called Joker's that was a bit insane. Like, it had, like, a four-story, uh, like, climbing thing that you could go up and play in. Uh, there was a Ferris wheel inside. Like, it, it was bonkers how big this place was. Uh, there was also a place called Bonkers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Master of segue that you are. Uh, we, there's still a place in Dover today, I'm pretty sure, called Hilltop Fun Center. Uh, and they've got, like, mini golf and a driving range and an arcade and uh, they had go-karts. And they, they, when I was a teenager, they put in a slick track. So you could, like, okay. drift around corners in, in go-karts. And that was pretty cool. Um, so, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of that kind of stuff when I was growing up. I'm a firm believer that one of the best presents you can get is a Lego set. Yes. I'll agree with that. Yeah. So uh, I, I very often got Legos. 
um, or books, you know, things like that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just always remember growing up and really enjoying birthdays because, you know, life was hard being an ADD introverted nerd. And uh, it was like the one day that, like, it was all about me. Well, I did compile a few uh, epic birthday parties in history, ones that made even me go, damn. Do it. So I, th- I think this could be a fun way to close. So the first one I think is probably the most famous one. It's the one that everybody knows about, even if they don't know that they know about it. It was John Fitzgerald Kennedy in 1962. Now, this actually took place at Madison Square Garden, the world's most famous arena, as they claim, and was attended by 15,000 people. Now, admittedly, that's a little bit skewed because it was also a Democratic Party fundraiser. (laughs) Uh, But 15,000 people attended. They paid God only knows how much to go. It was hosted by noted comedian Jack Benny, who also used it as an opportunity to roast the president. And it's most famous for Marilyn Monroe singing her ungodly version of uh, Happy Birthday, Mr. President, in a dress that she was literally sewn into before she went on the stage. And that dress actually was, for all, until very recently, the most expensive piece of clothing ever auctioned. Oh, Jesus. Uh, it's since been uh, beaten, but, uh, you know, it, that, it held a record for a long time. So there's videos of that out there. There's newsreel footage, so you can look that one up. Another one that I thought was funny was uh, fashion designer Bianca Jagger in 1977. Now, to begin with, it was held at Studio 54. And for those of you who don't know, Studio 54 was a nightclub in New York City. And my buddy Bob, who's an elderly gentleman, he's in his 70s, he lived in Brooklyn for years and years and years. And he told me stories of Studio 54. And he basically said everybody went in there and they had like afros and the white guys would perm their hair and they had, you know, the button down shirts unbuttoned all the way down to their navels and huge bell bottoms and like shoes with fish in them. And everybody was just in the corners doing blow. Like it was just a wild place to begin with. So that's where they had this party and just everybody was coked out of their minds. And Bianca hired a nude man painted gold uh, and a all white horse. And when I say a new man painted gold, I don't mean like that whole, you know, nude cowboy guy that goes around New York City and he really just has like a flesh-colored jockstrap. No, this guy was naked. Think like, you know, Austin Powers' gold member. Or if you're older, Goldfinger, when he painted the girl gold and she died. He was completely painted gold, head to toe, dick hanging out, leading this white horse around with Bianca on it. So basically, she'd be there talking to one group of people, and then she'd be like, oh, Jeffrey, take me over to meet Mr. Gagnon over in the corner there, yes. And he would just lead the horse over and stand there awkwardly while she talked to you. That's so weird. Such a wild fucking party. And then the last one is the uh, Sultan of Brunei for 1996. Uh, Sultan of Brunei still to this day has the most valuable car collection in the world, something like 300 and some cars, most of which are very rare and worth millions individually, you know, and he's got tons of them. But for his birthday in 1996, he organized a polo match, and basically he got all of, like, he basically rounded up all of the all-stars of the polo world. So if you're a baseball fan, you know, imagine, like, the American League and National League all-star teams, but internationally 
And then he was the captain of one team. And Prince Charles of the United Kingdom was the captain of the other team. And they picked from these all-stars. And then they had a polo match. And everyone uh, attending the party watched the polo match. Uh, they then retired to a private concert by Michael Jackson. Uh, and they said while this was going on, there was dozens and dozens and dozens of waiters and waitresses floating around with caviar and champagne. They said you, it, they, and it's described as limitless. And the one account I read said it was literally limitless. Your glass never emptied. Like, they're, like, anytime you turned around, someone was there with another thing of caviar or another bottle of champagne to top you off. You could not run out. Wow. Uh, by the time it was all said and done, the party cost $24 million in 1996, which, for those of you playing the home game with inflation, is about 68 to $70 million today. Jesus. <laughs> which is a hell of a birthday party, man. Now, see, that one I'd kind of be into until I got the bill the next morning. Then I'd have a stroke. Limitless caviar. I think I'd just get sick from the caviar. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like caviar, but I like caviar in doses. Uh, Yeah, the limitless champagne I'd be all about. Mm -hmm. I mean, that'd be fine as long as there's orange juice. Oh, God almighty. Take us home. (laughs) You heard it here first, folks. (laughs) Mark does not like mimosas. No, I like mimosas when I'm either hungover or it's the morning. If if I'm at a a $70 million birthday party for royalty, I don't want a mimosa. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening this week. Uh, we want to welcome you to uh, give us a rating out there. Follow us, pre-save us, do all that good stuff. Subscribe right here where you're listening. Uh, we launch uh, 8 a.m. on Friday mornings, so you'll have us for lunchtime nice and easy. Uh, we're out there everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean. Uh, there's like a billion other places like, um, damn, what's that? iHeartRadio and then Pandora and... Weirdly, you're Roku, so if you want to listen to us in new and interesting ways, we're out there. Uh, if you have TuneIn Radio, you can pull us up on your Alexa. Nice. Oh, man, it's terrifying that somebody can go, Alexa, play play the Wit and Whiskey cast. I have tested it on my own Alexa, and it does work, although you have to speak slowly because Wit and Whiskey does kind of get jarbled up and she gets a little confused, but it yeah. does work. Yeah, that's fair. I wonder if Siri can find it. That, that'll be my next thing to figure out. Um, uh, we are online, uh, com. You can email us at thewitandwhiskeycast at gmail.com. Uh, there is uh, no H in wit and an E in whiskey, unlike Mark will tell you, I'm sure, next week. Uh, hey, I have it covered both ways on that nice barrel somebody sent me. The, the E's in parentheses. Yes, it's very. It's good. Schrodinger's E. <laughs> uh, Mark, what are we? Uh, what are we doing next week? Well, I believe next week is going to be another one of our uh, infamous holiday specials. I think we're going to talk about Thanksgiving. Are we not? Yeah, it's the one holiday Mark's not a Grinch for. No, I'm actually really excited about this. <laughs> I'm so, yeah, that's a weird segue, but, you know, get ready for me to not be grumpy. <laughs> yeah. Mark really likes food, guys. I like food and I like, well, I don't like government propaganda as libertarian, but I like the idea of government propaganda. I like the idea of 
when you look back in history, the American government is not all warm and fuzzy, and, and um, you know, both the Thanksgiving myth, which we'll talk about, and the actual origin of Thanksgiving are both shrouded in propaganda and the government trying to distract people. Yes. So it's kind of a fun story, uh, and you get to eat way too much and watch football, so it's fun. Next, next tryptophan. <laughs> The day after Thanksgiving. So we're going to launch here Black Friday, which is really oh interesting. God. So when you're waiting in line, freezing your balls off for God only knows what, put your iPod, your, uh, no, not iPods. What are, what are they? AirPods, right? Is that what yeah, they call them? Yeah, good job. Um, you're very well, Put your AirPods in and, and listen to us on, on the thingamabob. And you, you, when you're swatting some teenager to get the last TV, we'll be in your ears. Yeah, Telling you why you should eat turkey and not believe the Thanksgiving myth. Um, yes, please, please don't believe the uh, Thanksgiving. <laughs> of course, we want to thank Nuno Henry Silva for our intro and outro music. We love you, love buddy. Love you, Nuno. Uh, we'll we'll uh, send you to his SoundCloud and make sure to check out his books out on uh, Amazon. Uh, he self-publishes. I believe it's Henry N. Silva. I think I said it right it is. last time. So, uh, yeah, check those out. Um, but, yeah, until next week... Cheers. Salud.